Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Lock and Key Unlocked, a podcast about Lock and Key, the comic book, Lock and Key, the Netflix series, and Lock and Key, the new serial coming to stores very soon. I'm Alex. And locks and also keys. Just any lock, any key. We're here to cover it. I'm Justin. I am Pete, and uh, I would buy and eat that cereal. Would you? Well, yeah. What do you think would be in a lock and key cereal? Probably like marshmallow locks and crunchy keys? No, no. Marshmallow keys. Oh. And like Ooh, doors uh, that are crunchy. Oh, oh, what a fight we have on our hands. <laughs> so, I, think, I think no wait, marshmallows. You, where, the spoon is marshmallow. Oh, okay. Wouldn't that get soggy? Do you eat your cereal with milk? I don't eat cereal. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an adult. Oh, okay. I'm a grown man. What's your favorite TV show uh, based cereal? I mean, there's Mr. T. Uh, you know, I mean... Uh, there's a lot of great TV show cereals. I like um, local news, the cereal. Oh, yeah. It's a little too crunchy for me. Yeah. Mm. yeah I've dry. been actually, I've been really into the Ozark cereal lately. Oh, it's ooh, got Marshmallow nice. Jason Bateman's. Real good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really fun. No, <laughs> well, no Emmys. No Emmys yet, though. No, no Marshmallow Emmys. Emmys. Yeah, they released, uh, they had a prize. You could get a prize in a little bag. It was a little Emmy, but... Um, there was nothing in the bag. I actually think that's how they give out Golden Globes now, is they just get them in your cereal box. <laughs> that's how you know if you've won. Yeah. Well, oh, that cool. definitely explains the nominations this year, Justin. Let's Ooh. talk about Lock Sorry. and Key Head Games. That's the volume of Lock and Key that we're going to be talking about this episode as we continue to gear up towards the debut of the Netflix series. Now, a couple of orders of business that I'll mention right at the top. If you've never read Lock and Key before, we're not exactly spoiling the Netflix series because that's going to be a little bit of a remix of everything that's gone on in the graphic novels. But we are going to be spoiling the second volume of Lock and Key titled Head Games. Uh, so if you don't want to know, read the book first and then come back here we'll also probably be teasing but not spoiling anything that is coming up in the rest of the comic book series just in case you are reading along as we do the podcasts here uh also we'll do some very quick recap which is pete's favorite part of any podcast that we do head games for a lot of key Welcome to uh, Lovecraft, the first volume. Uh, but I did want to give a couple of notes about Head Games as we go in here. Uh, it was published by IDW. The whole series is published by IDW. It's written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez, what, colors what? by Jay Photos, and letters by Robbie Robbins. Now, this series came out almost exactly a year after the first limited series did. It was released January 22nd, 2009. And along with Welcome to Lovecraft, Head games is the second part of act one there are six volumes total this comprises act one um 
However, even though it was six issues, as we're about to get into when we talk about the comic book proper, there was a little bit of a different release here. The uh, first issue was a prologue titled Intermission, then four issues, which are technically the head game story, uh, and then an epilogue titled Army of One. Uh, an interesting note, I was delving back. There's not a ton of interviews that really delve into this. Uh, there was a lot of stuff done after the series, but at the time, not a whole ton of things. But I did find a CBR interview, Comic Book Resistors interview from January 12th, 2009 with Joe Hill. At that time, he thought maybe the series could be about 24 issues in a standalone graphic novel. He thought possibly they could stretch it to 36. It actually ended up being... 37 main issues and two golden age books that uh, delved into the history of Lock and Key that were published during the main run. Of course, since then, there's been a couple of other things published, and there's actually going to be another series coming later this year. Uh, But by Mm -hmm. June 1st, at his own blog, he had solidified plans a bit more. This was after... Head Games was almost done publishing. It wrapped up publishing on July 1st, 2009. And by that point, he was pretty clear on it that there were going to be four more six-issue series, which is basically what happened. A couple of other things happening. Oh, Pete has a question here. Yes, Pete, you raised your hand. If uh, I also wanted to talk about a Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez interview that I found online. It was only three minutes long, but it was really... uh, quite adorable on Gabriel Rodriguez's part, but uh, it was interesting to hear them just talk about head games and Mm. also how like Joel Hill talked about how he feels like we're all kind of like trapped in our heads and we, we don't live in the world. We actually all live in our own little heads and wouldn't it be cool if there was like a key to open up and like fool around in our own minds. And I was just like, whoa. This is the this is the YouTube video that IDW put up, right? I think uh, if you I don't, search, I don't know. Uh, it's it's the first thing if you search Lock and Key Head Games video. I think, yep. Yep. yeah, yeah, uh, yes. So that was something that was also released before the series came out to serve as an overview of Welcome to Lovecraft, kick into Head Games, uh, and it is interesting. I will mention personally, I'm all feet man. That's where I live. Wow. I don't know about you guys. Hot take. Okay. Yeah, no head, all feet, because I got to keep going. Wow. Oh, wow. Foot games. Foot games. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the opposite of head games. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you mean by you're all feet. You said it because you go faster? I'm like a shark. I got to keep moving. It's weird that a Cornell Justin. guy is all feet. He got in Listen. based on his soccer scholarship. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Legendary did. soccer player Alex Zalman. Yeah, I almost I would have been in the World Cup, too, except for that injury, which I'd prefer not to talk about on this particular podcast. A couple of other things happened this year, 2009, when Head Games was released. Uh, Also, towards the end of the year, Crown of Shadows, which we'll talk about next episode, started to be released. uh, But 2009 was the year Lock and Key was nominated for Best Limited Series and Joe Hill for Best Writer at the Eisner Awards uh, on April 7th. That's when those nominations came out. They didn't win for that one, um, but they did later on in the year, around November, uh, won the 2009 British Fantasy Award for Best Comic or Graphic Novel. I'm going to assume for both of these awards, though, it was very hard to find information that this was probably for Welcome to Lovecraft, not Head Games, because it was coming out around the same time. But still... Good showing. Good showing. Strong showing right at the beginning here. Good on you, mates. 
Yes. One other note that I wanted to give, and this is a little bit of uh, business to talk about with Welcome to Lovecraft. This is something that we dropped in our Patreon Slack. You can check that out, patreon.com slash comic book club. Uh, and also on our Twitter account, uh, at Watchmen. Wat- no, it's not. No, wrong <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I knew Locking that was going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. At One Locking too many key. feeds, bro. Yeah, yeah you're all key pod on Twitter. Maybe uh, get your foot out of your ass, Alex, and pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be more head, all feet. That's what my coach in soccer was always saying. Oh, to yes, wow. you're soccer. You say soccer like a real pro. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, or soccer's the game. Play with your head, not your feet. What, who are you making fun of right now? What, that's, that's, is that a Harry Potter character that we don't know yeah, about? what is that? No, that was like soccer's kind of a British thing. So he was wow. like, uh, I'm sorry for everybody who was offended by that. I'm just working on my characters and try to get out of this podcast as quickly as possible. Uh, anyway, but we did you were drop, talking about Watch uh, Me Watch, w- Alex. Oh, right. Uh, let's skip over that horrible gaffe that I made. Uh, when, uh, when I was searching around, actually, for videos, I was trying to find stuff for head games. Uh, and uh, I stumbled across, which I completely forgot this was online. There was a trailer that was made for Lock and Key... The Fox pilot that was scrapped. We talked about this a bit on our preview episode. That's the one that uh, and it you was saw, interesting right? enough. It was a trailer that was made before they had any effects or transitions or anything like that. Uh, the editor talks about it a little bit, but it was something to essentially sell the pilot, which of course didn't go forward. Um, but uh, seeing that reminded me there was a tweet sent to us after our preview episode by at E.T. Kinru on Twitter. Uh, I had completely forgotten the first episode, the pilot that they made for Fox was actually the entire first volume of Welcome to Lovecraft in that first episode. I don't know that Whoa. they're going to be doing that for the Netflix series, but if you want to see a visual version uh, with moving and stuff with live actors, mm. check it out. It's on our Twitter now, not Watchman Watch uh, one, but actually at Lock and Key Pod, or you can check it out on the Patreon. Nice. So that's the business out of the way. Let's get into a quick recap of what's happened so far Yay. in the comic book. So Rendell Locke, the patriarch of the Locke family, was unfortunately murdered by a guy named Sam Lesser. Sam Lesser was working with a demonic entity named Dodge, a.k.a. the lady in the well, the woman in the well, uh, who was trying to find the location of something called the Omega Key. Now, Sam Lesser killed Rendell Locke. The rest of the Locke family ended up moving to Lovecraft, Massachusetts, into his ancestral home, Key House. That family includes Nita Locke, who is the mother. She is a little bit of a drunk. We'll just throw that out there. Mm. There's also Bodie Locke. She's going through a lot. All right. Give her a break. I mean, she's a drunk, though. I'm giving her a break, but also she's a drunk. Oh, Alex, hey, you're if a your significant sponsor. other was murdered, I think maybe you would go on a little bit of a bender and kind of have a hard time for a little bit. All right. No, man, I'm all feet. I've already established that. I just keep going. That's I mean, up. it is fucked up, but also it plays such a huge part in the story as it goes on. Yes. So you got to play. You got to let it go, Pete. Never. Yeah. The three kids of the Locke family, Bodie Locke is the youngest. He is super into what they discover when they get to Key House, the house that they're living in, uh, which is a bunch of magical keys. Each has its own ability, can unlock and do its own thing, and Bodie is very excited about it. 
over the course of the first volume, very slowly, the other kids get a sense that not everything is right in Key House. That includes Tyler Locke, who is the oldest, who discovers that Bodie Locke has uh, discovered the ghost key, which unlocks a door. You go through the door, you turn into a ghost, you can flit around. Uh, Kinsey is not quite aware of the keys of yet. She's the middle kid. Uh, She's been dealing with a lot of issues off of her father's death. Specifically, uh, she kind of retreated into herself, and that's something we deal with in a big way in this volume here. Uh, Tyler, meanwhile, blames himself with his father's death. And actually, I don't quite remember. Uh, does he, he begins to realize it's not totally his fault by the end of the first volume, right? Like he thought that an offhand comic comment that he made to Sam Lesser, hey, if you kill your dad, why don't you kill my dad, caused yeah. his dad's death. But he uh, reached a sort of catharsis there by the end of the volume and was able to move on. Now, yeah. Sam Lesser was actually thrown through the ghost door, killed by Dodge, who's the gender swap key to turn into a 18 year old boy named Zach Wells. Uh, Zach Wells killed Sam Lesser through the, through the ghost door. So Sam Lesser is kind of floating out there. That's more in detail. You kind of got to remember for later. And Zach Wells enrolled as a student at Lovecraft Academy, where the rest of the kids go, and immediately ingratiated himself into the Fred group. Now, now over the... Yes, Pete. Uh, apparently, it's real easy to get in school. You just show up and just say, hey, I'm a kid. And they're like, okay, come on in. That is quite, quite truly how it works. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever educated. seen a little movie called Never Been Kissed, Pete? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. Wow, that's sick how you do it. Burn, yeah. sick burn, Alex. By the way, <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was pretty sick burn. <laughs> I don't know. It's a great movie. <laughs> Michael Vartan's in it. Everybody loves a good Vartan. Wow, well, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I don't right. know what I to went, say to that. I went too deep on the never been kissed continuity. Yeah. Uh, You've drawn, this, car- it's rare that this podcast comes to a grinding halt. And we just do it on the <laughs> uh, the, other, the other thing that I'll touch on that I'm sure we'll talk about more throughout uh, this issue because uh, this volume, because it gets very deeply into it, is Redlock had a bunch of friends back in the day that seemed to be connected to these keys in some way, seemed to be connected to Dodge in some way. Uh, and one of the main ones that you need to know about is Ellie Whedon who is the coach at the school. She has a uh, son named Rufus Whedon, um, who is, he is uh, mentally challenged, I think is fair to say. Yeah, I think that's uh, 100%. He's withdrawn. uh, He's in his own world. I mean, they don't ever define it, I don't think, in the book. Um, But yes. Yeah, But what's great is he's got his... uh, um, you know, his action figures. It's kind mm-hmm. of like uh, Marwin or whatever that uh, movie was. Welcome to Marwin. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, wow. yes. Welcome he to basically- Marwin and Never Been Kissed. <laughs> Two huge <laughs> cultural touchstones. Titans that we're bringing dropping in this podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yes, he talks mostly through his army action figures. I think he's autistic, actually. Mm -hmm. Again, they don't specifically state it, but I think that's what's going on with him. But he's a very important character here. Last character you need to know about that uh, was kind of touched on previously. We saw him in a picture that was taken down from a yearbook by Ellie Whedon in the first volume. Uh, Joe Ridgway is a teacher 
at the Lovecraft Academy. Uh, he was very close, seemingly, with uh, the rest of the kids that Rendell Locke was friends with back in the day. That's kind of where we leave things. I think we can get to the rest. Oh, uh, there is actually one last character we should mention. It was Duncan Locke, yeah. who is Uncle Dunk. He is uh, Rendell's brother. He also lived in Key House back in the day, and we find out quite a bit more about him he is kind of bouncing around. He doesn't live at Key House. Uh, he lives... Where does he live? Somewhere else in Mass- Yeah, Provincetown, Massachusetts. I think he lives... Uh, he's a teacher he, there. Yes. Our teacher. Our teacher. I think uh, he and, lives near Fenway. Fenway yes. Park. And he <laughs> doesn't what? seem to quite know about the magic that is happening in Key House. So with that all said, let's jump into the volume. Uh, one thing that I did want to mention that I think we touched on... In the previous volume, we talked about how Gabriel Rodriguez has a background as an architect, and I don't know how you guys are checking back on this. I'm reading, I think it's the first collected edition. There's sort of a signature edition that was released later, but at least in the front pages, you have a key house north elevation, key house west elevation, and later on, we get a little bit of the guide to the known keys, which are all all very... Uh, structurally drawn, which I liked quite a bit. Pete, once again, raising his head, you could just... Jump in here. We're very informal on this podcast. Uh, I just wanted to say, if you could not flip the pages in front of the microphone, that really, (laughs) as a podcast listener, it's really frustrating when you're listening back and then you can hear you (laughs) paging through. See, I get what you're doing here, but Pete, what you do is when you flip the pages, my issue is that you literally look down and away from the microphone and you kind of go over here so people can't hear you versus talking into the microphone and looking for it. The issue is not the flipping the pages. The issue is not talking into the microphone beat Alex you bring up a good point and what I what I like to do is I like to imagine I'm drawing the audience in because when I move away from the uh, microphone they have to move closer to their source mm. no. what do you so think like listeners in, weigh in on you know, this great hanging debate on our words. <laughs> also please weigh in on whether Pete should stop recording next to his refrigerator <laughs> Wow. Oh, here uh, we it's go. all coming out. Okay. I'm going to unlock so my head and pull out the last two minutes of my life right now. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't live oh, in a palace goodness. where there's tons of options to podcast, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing up an argument you're definitely wrong about, Pete. Let's jump into I Shall Lock I podcast from the podcasting room? Yes, that would be <laughs> lovely. No refrigerators <laughs> in that podcasting room. <laughs> Oh, my God. I always love to record podcasts inside of a turbine. That's my favorite place. It really works well. Let's talk about head games already because we're already, I don't know, I want to say three hours into this podcast. Yes, Pete, what do you want to say? Just say it. Speaking of structurally and his architect, like we do get the two-page spread of the uh, stage kind of picture in this uh, this head Mm -hmm. games uh, volume, and it's breathtaking and like structural wise building wise architectural wise it is just a masterpiece well i do think in this volume there's a ton of uh two-page spreads i feel like we get a little bit of a format for this uh this arc uh we get the two-page spread on the play signaling how important that will be and then each of the kids we get a two-page spread of their heads yeah yeah the Bodhi one is just magical It's funny because Joe has talked about he wrote one short Spider-Man story before this, I believe. He may have done one or two other things, but that was his major thing that was published comic book wise. Other than that, he had been a prose author. So even though Welcome to Lovecraft is super confident 
in terms of how it's put together, the fact that it is essentially his first comic work, but it is so structurally a comic, like we talked about in the last episode, is pretty amazing. Uh, But Joe apparently turned in... I want to say 30 to 60 page scripts for each issue, which normally you're trying to aim for like a page ish for every page of the comic book. The comic book is about 22 to 24 pages long. So he was way over writing for everything. And ultimately I think that shows up in these two page spreads here where he figures, okay, now that I've gotten this first comic book out of the way, I can kind of spread my wings a little bit, figure out different ways to do it, uh, and uh, come up with these two-page spreads that will allow Gabriel Rodriguez to tell the story. On the other hand, in multiple interviews, Gabriel Rodriguez has said, these were nightmares, like yeah. literal yeah. nightmares to draw. <laughs> Just re-looking loved- at them again, it seems oh it's so insane. Yeah, uh, also, yes. Joe Hill, in an interview... Uh, that I saw was talking about how <laughs> the most exciting moment for him was seeing the two page spreads that uh, Gabriel Rodriguez did. And his favorite is inside Bodie's head. Well, in an interview that I saw, <laughs> Joe Hill <laughs> said God. that I was his best friend. Not I just you, want to give me a little taste of how you come off sometimes. Alves, all right. I'm invited. I'm invited to his birthday party. Not you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> 2020, the year we finally disagree and argue on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I think this is a good time to talk about the first page of <laughs> Yes. And actually, I just want to stop you right there and tell you about an interview I heard <laughs> with um, myself. Uh, One thing that actually struck me about this volume, the first volume we talked about a lot, the violence and the judicious use of violence throughout the book, that it starts pretty bloody and in your face, but ultimately by the end of the volume, they're spacing it out a little bit. There's splash pages where there's violence, but otherwise it's mostly about the terror and the tension that they're building. The big theme that emerges throughout this volume for me is sex. Like, and I think they put that Whoa. right on the first of course page. You pick up on that. Uh, of course I pick up on that because I think it's a the theme of the book. Like it's the first book. Uh, it's not as prevalent in the first one because they're dealing with the trauma of Rendell Locke dying. But right for the first page, uh, you have Joe Ridgway and the woman he loves, Callie. We find this out later. Uh, he's studying. She's taking off her clothes and jumping into the water and challenging him to fight her, uh, find her. Uh, she throws her underwear on his face to draw him in. But it's not the first or the last time where this happens, the same thing happens later on. We have Tyler is fantasizing about the girl that he's interested in. Kinsey, by the end, is uh, past her fear and kissing Zach Wells. Uh, so there's a lot of that that plays in there. And I think to me, that makes a lot of sense because we are dealing with head. We're head versus whoa, heart whoa. and impulses there. Yeah, and it's also, it's very adolescent sex and mm-hmm. just like fantasizing about uh, someone you like. And I think it, yeah, to your point, it is. It's right out of the head of these kids. We get in the kids' heads and sort of experience everything that they're experiencing throughout this volume. This is my favorite uh, arc of the whole series, I think. Wow, oh, really? that's bold. That is bold. Well, why yeah. is that, Johnson? Why is this your favorite one? Uh, because it sets up so much of what of the story going forward and – 
it's the moment when everybody sort of gets on board. Uh, we, all the kids get on board with yeah. like, whoa, mm-hmm. there is magic here. We have to figure this out. There's so much tension. Uh, Dodge is sort of winning throughout this. So it's like stressful in a, in a dramatic way, in a good way. Um, it's, it's just setting so much of the stage that we get to see play out later. Uh, there are so many it's, little hidden keys that we get teased with throughout this volume. It's, it's great. It's funny that you word it like that, Justin, uh, of the, talking about the stage, because in the two-page spread of the stage, uh, it, it, there's so many spoilers and so many hints of what's to come in the series. Like, it's so much information in there that— God, I love uh, information. You don't really catch it the first time around, but uh, it really the uh, the second time reading, I'm like, holy shit! There's all the villains and all the stuff coming, and literally people on stage holding keys, you know, and like yeah. it looks like they just came through one of the doors. Um, if you look at the detail that Gabriel Rodriguez put into that, and like you said, had to be so maddening. I can't imagine how much time he spent on these two pages, uh, but. Talking about this being your favorite, for me, rereading it, it really crystallized the thought that I hadn't uh, realized is this is a terror, a horror story, but they are having so much fun. The writer and the artist are having so much fun. It makes it almost lighthearted in such a fucked up way. Yeah, I the big thing that I was struck revisiting this volume is I forgot how much I loved the first and last issues of this in particular. Yeah. Like, I love the whole volume, and I do think it's great. I think, I don't know, it's it, it, because it has been a while since I've read them, I'm eager to see how I feel about the rest of them because I realized how many things I forgot. But yeah. this first issue with Joe Ridgway is so perfectly structured, and the last issue, Army of One, that focuses a little bit more on Rufus and Ellie is... And, and I think Duncan is the last issue as well, right? Yeah, um, yeah is, last two. Yeah. Oh, that's the Ellie one. Um, is so phenomenal and emotionally driven and so perfectly structured. Like the Joe Ridgway one, let's kick it off with that. So we get to see the young Joe Ridgway. He challenges Callie. So Callie challenges him, says, hey, find me in the deep water. And he swips down looking for her. And is like, where the hell are you, Callie? He's terrified. There's a terrified look on her face because he thinks she's drowned. And the way the issue is structured, there's enough time in the middle that you forget about this moment. You forget yeah. what's gone on at the beginning of the issue until the very end when, spoiler, Joe Ridgway dies. And as he dies, he rejoins Callie essentially in the afterlife, metaphorically in the afterlife. And you get that last absolutely stunning full page spread of him saying, there you are, as she naked kisses him. There's a scared fish in the foreground. Yeah. But the expression on Joe Ridgway's face is relief and sadness and all of these things that clearly he's going through as he dies, as he sinks into the tub, which again is the water there. It's so, so beautifully done. Uh, first off, how dare you forget about that um, part in the first <laughs> okay. part? Uh, but secondly, this brings up a really great point. Fish hate PDA. If you're going to make out in the water, you know, just have some respect and make sure there aren't any fish around because it really bothers them. And it's not it's not nice. Yeah. Skinny dipping is a fish crime. Oh, yeah. yeah. You remember fish police, obviously. Yeah. 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 I, remember the time I was in fish jail for a little while? 
Oh, okay. Thanks. Uh, yes, I really apologize for my never been kissed info, Mr. Fish Police. <laughs> Don't get thrown into fish jail, Pete, because there's no air. It's a very yeah. tough place. And you think seaweed would be easy to get out of, but it's not. And they call the toughest person in fish jail a big human. You got to take down the big human in the first yeah. day, and that's how you prove how tough you are. So uh, let, let's call out a couple of things about this issue before we get into head games proper. Uh, one thing that I love, which is not a subtle thing, but it's such a smart thing. Um, and this gets to something that Gabriel Rodriguez talked about in an interview that oh, I read. My God. <laughs> wow. You guys are really OD doing on the this. interviews Why? with Gabriel Rodriguez. <laughs> we get Here's it. Here's the thing. How many of them he are did. there, honestly? Uh, there's I feel uh, like you're 1, both 000. you're both talking about the same interview that you each read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 100%. Uh, but Gabe did talk about how one of the things that Joe figured out with this volume is to take those 60-page scripts and pack multiple items into the same panel beyond the two-page spread. And you get that in a thing where uh, Joe is teaching and he's saying, stay illusion. If thou hast any sound or use voice, speak to me. Uh, in the background on the chalkboard, it says memory minus ghosts in action is a choice. And that's ultimately what he does. It's setting up the end there. Uh, but that happens a lot throughout the volume. This to me, not to plug Watchmen again, but to me almost feels like where Joe figures out how to do that Watchmen juxtaposition where you have the dialogue going on, you have the narration boxes going on and it's playing off what's happening in each individual panel. Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't read that uh, interview that you're talking about, but I do think that's <laughs> one of the reasons why this is my favorite volume is it just starts so strong. It's so surprising to me to start this second arc with a standalone issue that is mostly a, sort of a side story. Um, it's not with featuring our main characters. It's setting up so much tension and setting up so many of the future things that we're going to be uh, be seeing in this series, but... It's such a confident choice, and I think that plays out throughout this whole arc, how confident the writing is. Yeah, right. and also, uh, Alex, I don't think you know him well enough to just call him Gabe. You know, I mean, that's kind of bold <laughs> on your part. <laughs> I, call I him usually Barad. call him... Oh, yeah? Should I call him G. Roddy? Wow. Come on, man. Put I'll some respect on him. I'll, Put some I'll respect on his name. I read Roddy, Roddy Rodriguez. <laughs> Uh, but the other thing that this first issue does beyond telling this super emotionally charged romantic story of Joe Ridgway and Callie Ridgway is we also get little bits in the background that Zach Wells has very clearly, quickly ingratiated himself to Tyler in particular. They become very fast friends. Uh, we also, as Pete mentioned, saw see this incredible two page spread of the production of, oh, my gosh. Uh, the, Tempest. the Tempest. Tempest. I'm the classically trained actor here, so oh, I'll okay. handle referencing the Shakespeare. Got the it. Bard. And in the two-page spread, as Pete mentioned, we see them holding the keys. We see, this is a little bit of a teaser, not necessarily a spoiler, but we see the Crown of Shadows on Rendell Locke. Uh, we get a couple of teases of other keys that we'll find out about later. Uh, and then ultimately, we also get to see Zach playing around with Rufus and Ellie, which is something that's going to play in very big, not just throughout the volume, but particularly towards the end and sets up this conflict here that 
Ellie is messing up. Like she keeps calling him Lucas, which the big thing that we kind of already know is he's not Zach Wells. He's not Dodge. He is Lucas Caravaggio, who was best friends with Rendell Locke back in the day. We don't yet know until the end of the volume how actually he came back to life. But that's something that begins to be set up here. Uh, The other thing that gets set up is that Zach slash Lucas is kind of fucking up here. Like, yeah, he's very confident. He's very cocky, but shooting Joe Ridgeway at point blank rage and letting him die in the tub, getting hit with a glass or mug on the head and getting cut. Like he's not being careful. I love so, how you're picking apart him for not being evil enough and not and messing up. No, being no, sloppy. I think it gets to, it sets up his character that yeah. he is not, he is planning, but he's kind of winging it throughout here yeah. in a certain way. Well, also, and panicking. The, in the Tempest, what's crazy is that the Zack slash Lucas character, his robe is coming off the stage and kind of breaking the fourth wall because that's kind of like his power. He can jump around and do so much that it's interesting that they have him kind of like cascading over. Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez said in an interview that that two page spread <laughs> is his favorite moment. <laughs> Great. Cool. Thank you, Pete. You're still not invited to Joe's birthday party. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm going to or as I call respect on his name and say his full name every time because he's that amazing. And as always, we'll be linking to the 90 articles featured in this <laughs> podcast as our lexicon of talking points. Right. One thing that I do appreciate uh, about our podcast is the bibliography that we include on every episode. So exhaustive, voluminous even. Right. It allows you to know that we're not making this shit up. No, (laughs) very serious. I will say seeing Rufus, um, this guy, I guess we shouldn't spoil future volumes really too much, but man, this, I love the character of Rufus and the way that, um, yeah. uh. it reminds me of when you're talking about how Dodge is being so cocky, um, and Rufus is right there the whole time. We meet him here in this volume and see him a little bit. Just what a great, uh, well, well-made character and the way it plays into the, the way that the head key doesn't work on him and it just everything mm-hmm. is such so masterfully set up here. And it's kind of like a classic trope where a, a villain has so much confidence and so full of themselves. They kind of uh, ignore the, the littler people or people they feel like aren't a threat to them. Um, but I reading this a second time really love like seeing Rufus early. I was like, yes. Um, because, you know, not to spoil, but he does have a bigger plan to play. And uh, it was just so fun to see him talking to his army figures and stuff like that. Well, I don't think that's necessarily a spoiler because that last issue, again, I love the first issue, love the last issue, uh, is you get that sense. You're so terrified for Rufus because he is autistic. You're worried. There's no way that he is going to be able to get out of this. Zach slash Lucas has been threatening him nonstop uh, to the point where it seems like maybe he's going to kill him. And he's so cavalier about everybody else's lives that sure. Why wouldn't he kill Rufus, but letting him go and then seeing that panel at the end that, at that point, inexplicable paddle where Rufus has showed no magical abilities. And the last page of the volume is him lying asleep with his army boys and them actually answering him in dialogue and yeah. saying, sir, yes, sir. You're like, it's 
such a holy shit, yeah. fuck yes, Rufus Bobed. It's on. That e- it, exactly. That's what it feels like, is it feels like, okay, to Justin's point, Dodge has been winning this entire volume, even as he's being reckless, but it is on. Like, there is a point where they can fight back, and the key seems to be Rufus here, and that's great. Yeah, I totally agree. And everyone's what also they do here in this is like fulfilling childhood fantasies. Like, obviously, we talked about uh, the sexual side of that, but with Rufus, Zelda like brought the, that up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like Dude, having your sex action is figure- part of life. You can talk about it. Sure, sure, yeah, definitely. Let's get into it. Let's sit down on the couch and get into each other's. Jesus. Let's get Mr. into Monk each other's heads. Here. I'm just saying oh, yeah. there was so much going on, and you're just like. Also, the sex is there. Okay, first of all, it didn't sound like that. Second of all, <laughs> it's on the first fucking page, Pete. The first page. There's a reason that they structured yeah, it that Yeah, also, they're pulling things out of people's heads. There is murder. There are people drowning. There's all this stuff. And like, But you're like, but the sex, though. All that stuff is part of sex, Pete. Again, if I you do didn't. It right. Yeah, if if you're doing sex right, you're super terrified the entire time. <laughs> uh, what I, I was going to say is fulfilling the childhood fantasy of having your action figures come alive or be able to yeah. interact mm-hmm. with you. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, and I also think, like, the art that is portraying, like, Ellie's face when she, it's just like he opens the door and she's just laying there and, like, when she, uh, when he says her name, just, like, the look of terror it's just so powerful and so well done. It's unbelievable. It just shakes you. Yeah. It's, uh, I think you're talking about the first page of the next issue where Ellie's just lying there. Lucas pops in and says, help me. And she follows Yeah, again, like that confidence of opening up with just four of almost the same panel, but each intrinsically different yeah. is so smart. Uh, I did want to talk about just in terms of teasers and the confidence in terms of laying out the story that after this sequence where Ellie is helping Zach get rid of Joe Ridgeway's body, or at least frame it as a suicide, uh, we get a panel of Bodie wandering through Keyhouse trying to figure out where the head key, which he found at the end of the last volume, fits. And we get all of these different things that are going to play out later on. Yeah. It's it's so smart. And again, I know I keep using the word confidence this episode, but to be be like, okay, we're two issues into the second volume. Here's things that are going to happen in volume three, volume four, volume five. Uh, without without it detracting from the main story is great. I'm confident in your use of the word confidence, Alex. I think you're showing a Thanks. lot of confidence. Uh, Alex, I would like to apologize. You know, before I, uh, you know, said that, you know, turning the pages was, you know, inappropriate, but it has like a calming effect to hear you kind of go through the book. And it's, it's actually kind of nice. So I it's apologize. It's like story time with Alex Albin. Yeah. Something we've been wanting you, to do for a long time. If you want, I know people can't actually hear me flipping the pages. When I turn a page, I could say flip. Well, oh, what, yeah. What's nice is you can't really hear you licking your fingers and then flipping it, but, you know. Like. Oh, okay. So I'll do <laughs> flip. <laughs> yeah, is that better, go. Pete? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what most audiobooks do that, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I am reading a page now. New page. <laughs> flip. Uh, <laughs> flip. So uh, we do meet uh, 
I don't remember whether he showed up in the first volume, but we do meet a new character here who's the police detective that I'm completely blanking on the name of, but uh, he plays in a big way going forward, so he's somebody to keep track of. Uh, And then we very briefly meet another character who, I think this is Scott, right? Uh, Who's the punk dude that Kinsey pushes past. Yes, who has an instant crush on her. Instant crush on her and means she will be mine. Another character you should kind of keep track of. Uh, But then we get a great sequence of Kinsey uh, crying by a shack and Zach, who is not part of the shack, brings her back an ice cream attack. Oh, I, come on. What are you doing? I'm sorry. Right I got now? stuck in there and I had to keep going with it. Uh, but I, I love the scene. And one thing that I love about the scene where it's Tyler and Zach giving her ice cream is they each have different ice cream and they each speak to their individual characters down to Tyler eating out of a baseball cap. Yeah. yeah. It's just such a fun little detail. Uh, I want to jump back for a second to the character that uh, falls in love with Kinsey Scott. Um, he, for, he reminds me of uh, the guy from Transmetropolitan, that kind of thing. I think his name was Spider. Yeah, Spider Jerusalem. Yeah. And every time I see him, I'm like, is it him? Wow. Right. Yep. I wonder, uh, Pete, did you read any interviews to find out <laughs> whether that character is based on Spider uh, Jerusalem? No. Because I'm I just, did not. I'm referencing a three the same three minute video that I saw, so I don't really have a wide range. Big reveal about the journalistic tendencies of Pila Page right there. When I look at this guy, it reminds me of a young Justin Tyler back when he was into his fifth element phase. Ah, mm. true. What a great phase. Uh, Corbin yeah. Dallas multipass. Oh, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. All I, all I got to say is I'm glad you said that because I was about to. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, Kinsey, this sets up the main conflict that sort of kicks off a lot of the action here, which is that Kinsey does not want to and cannot deal with her emotions. Specifically, she feels like she's crying all the time. She's scared all the time. She doesn't know what to do about it. Uh, and then we cut back to Bodhi again, exploring the house. We get further teasers for things that are coming later. Uh, and uh, then we find out another big thing that's going on, which is that Tyler is not doing any of his homework. He is. Oh, come on, oh, dude. Come on, dude. Come on. You just can't you get ahead. It all you the time. to get in your head. Yeah. Uh, and then we need another major character uh, that Tyler immediately falls in love with, uh, who is uh, Jordan Gates, who some preppy named Brinker Martin Brinker. describes as a psycho rich bitch. Uh, and she does the classic. She's wearing a motorcycle helmet, comes up, flips it up. She's a beautiful woman <laughs> yeah. oh. with a past. Yeah, with a dark past. Uh, speaking of dark past, we also get to see Nita again, like drunk and hungover, talking Duncan. Take it Duncan. easy on her, man. She's been through a lot. I'm not being harsh on the character. I'm just describing Jesus. what she's going through, Pete. Are you drunk and hungover? Maybe. Are you a drunk? Is this your issue? What? This is my issue. Get out of my head. <laughs> uh, I also want to say real quick, like the use, the... The way all these characters are named in this whole, all the entire uh, story of Lock and Key, just excellent. Coming up with good names for your characters, not Mm -hmm. easy. And they just nail it with all of these names. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, as Duncan leaves, Bodhi finally figures out what's going on with the head key, uh, thanks to seeing a keyhole pop up in the back of Duncan's head. Uh, we get a very sweet scene with Kinsey talking to Duncan about how she's sad and how she barely knew Joe Ridgway, but she's still emotionally affected by it. Uh And this is a crucial scene for what happens later. Lucas introduces himself to Duncan and Duncan doesn't recognize him. Now, clearly, though, we'll find out exactly what happened later. Clearly, something has happened to Duncan's memories that he doesn't recognize him uh, because otherwise he would know exactly who Lucas is. But Lucas notes it like so we're the thing that i think is interesting here is we're clarifying how magic works in this world right we're finding out that lucas notes hey duncan saw something even though he shouldn't know me and he shouldn't recognize me same thing with joe ridgeway did in fact recognize me uh so these keys can work, but only so far. Like the magic that keeps adults from understanding what magic is, it could be stretched and it could be pushed and pulled. Yeah, yeah uh, I I think that's that's great. The fact that adults can't understand it is such a good uh, part of this story, and it's really well told here. Where the kids, as they're exploring the head key, they try to tell their mom, and just she just can't understand it. And I think it's just it's such a smart sort of Spielbergian way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Also, it just talked uh, speaks about the child's ability to create worlds and how little parents care about their kids. Wow! Wow! Uh, well, all right. Speak to your own parents, I guess. But you know, whatever. Pete. <laughs> wow! Takedown. Uh, uh, I also want to say, we like, get, we're talking about Dodge's yeah. um, the way Dodge plans everything, and it's obvious in the stuff you're talking about um, that. All he cares about is just getting through the scam. Like, there's no long-term planning. It's all short-term. It's all, like, problem-solving in the moment, trying to just not get caught, which is his eventual uh, undoing. And yeah, I think yeah. that's really well well shown here. Uh, and then at the very end of the second issue, we finally get the reveal of what the head key does, which is so well-paced out. I love oh. how Gabriel draws the expressions here. Uh, and the not to use the keep using this word, but the juxtaposition of those last two paddles of Tyler and Kinsey seeing him unlock the, his head from their perspective. You don't see what's happening. You get that last paddle of they're absolutely horrified and you flip the page and uh, you see Bodhi with his head completely missing. And he says, yeah, I know. So awesome. Yeah, the top yeah. of his skull, not his complete head. But yeah, the right. way that the like Tyler's pulling on his own skin is just so creepy. Yes. Yes. I, I love it. And then I love his reaction at the beginning of the next issue where all he can say is, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and it's great. And the thing that's great about it is uh, we don't even find out exactly what the head key does for a little while into the second issue. Like it's enough of a cliffhanger to be like, oh, I got to find out what's happening next. But you don't really find it out for another couple of pages here. Uh, you get to see Needlelock looking at Bodie's head. They have a silent paddle about it being like, look at my head. And she's like, yeah. OK, have a good time. See you later. Yeah. Uh, real quick uh, here, I want to say, like, no other artist could uh, execute this. It's such a cartoonish yes. thing that is also meant to be horrifying. And I just feel like I can't imagine another way of doing it that isn't Gabriel Rodriguez's art. 
Yeah. Now, in a interview I read with G. Oh, Roddy, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was. Uh, he did say, which I hadn't noticed before, and I'm curious to check out. I was reading through the series. Uh, he tried to make his art style more childlike towards the beginning of Lock and Key, mm. and then age it up as he went because he knew the kids were growing older. Uh, so I don't, I don't remember that panning out with Alpha and Omega, the last volume, but I'm, I'm curious to keep track of that as it goes. Uh, but that definitely plays out over here. Uh, the other thing that I love about this issue is the way that they roll out the horrific nature, depending on how you look at it, but like kind of the horrific nature of the head key where Bodhi's just wandering around with his skull missing. And eventually they're like, all right, we're going to look in your head and see what's going on. And you get that amazing two page spread of the inside of Bodhi's head. And it almost, there's so much going on. It takes you a second to realize that Bodhi is looking at his own fucking head at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Which is awesome. crazy. What What's the thing? I'm curious in this two page spread of Bodhi's head, what is the thing that draws your attention first? Like, what is the thing that you latched onto first here? I thought it was hilarious, the dinosaur. That was mm-hmm. the first thing I noticed. Yeah, I think I noticed the dinosaur first as well. Um, I also like the little bits and pieces of the story that we've already told from the Welcome to Key House. Mm-hmm. I love seeing mm-hmm. those in here and seeing their, a memory that I share with the characters and seeing the, the take on it. Yeah. One one thing that I love uh, that I think my eye goes from the dinosaur almost immediately to the lower quarter where we see this almost Wizard of Oz thing of Bodhi as a stick of dynamite, Mm -hmm. uh, Kinsey as the cowardly lion, and then Tyler as a caveman. Well, kind of Fred Flintstone type character. Yeah. mm -hmm. And so much fun. Just all of it. So much fun. And such a great thing to just spend time with because so many comics blip by things. And I understand it might've been a nightmare to draw, but you want to spend time. You want to analyze and piece that apart and look at every single bit of it. You know, I also love their dad, uh, Rendell with uh, Bodie on his back. I thought it's such a sweet, you know, we don't ever get to really hang out with Rendell in this and it's great the way we get to just see him in bits and pieces. And that's such a good shot of him. Uh, Also, like the way the bad guys are drawn with like the gun and hatchet in such a messed up way that like it's not like it's it's so like a kid drawing that's in his head like he can't even deal with it. But the lady in the well, which I never noticed before, is in like a heart shaped box. No, that's I think that's Nita. I think think that's that's his mom. mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or maybe he are you shipping Bodhi and the well woman? (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, they do have a relationship. But Pete, would you, Pete? Let me ask you, as a man who has noted uh, how much he hates wells, would you date Mm -hmm. someone from a well? Never, never. It's always, it's not a good idea. But what Uh, if you fell in love with a well, a well person? mm -hmm. What would you do? You're from two different worlds. It's the Romeo and Juliet (laughs) of Earth and well people. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's a tale uh, like as old baby as Jessica. Time. Like, what if you made baby Jessica on a date or something like that? Would you yeah. keep dating her? <laughs> the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate well person. <laughs> Do you think uh, when they finally rescued her, they were worried that it was the ring? Yeah, the movie The Ring. <laughs> yeah, I think when they rescued her, they were like, Ooh, "I don't know if Pete's going to date her." 
She's yeah. been a well now. Uh, also, uh, Pete, stop shipping children with people. So oh. other information that we find out in this issue, Bodie sticks a cookbook in his head. So we figure out you can put things in your head with the head key. But I also, I love the move that putting a book in your head doesn't necessarily give you the information. It just gives you the text of the book. And that plays out in the way that Bodhi repeats the recipe where it's three tisps and (laughs) and everything, because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, We also find out that you can take things out, which is another important thing. uh, And that memory twists and changes with time, which is not such a nice metaphorical thing because we see the well lady and this is a move so that they don't immediately discover that Zach is Lucas uh, slash the well lady. But to Bodie, of course, she looks like a horrible bug esque demon, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, So let's keep flipping through here. (laughs) Flip. Uh, lots of other things happen as they talk about yeah, the head Yeah, of course key. you want to flip past the part where the mom is not aware, you know, the parent is just, you know, we talked not a about part that. of the kid's life. You want to just we talked right. about that, but we took it out of your head with the head key, Pete. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't know uh, the shit I've taken out of your head, Pete. You don't know. Yes. Uh, and uh, Tyler figures out that, hey, this is going to be a, way, a great way to cram studying. So Kinsey sticks a textbook inside of his head so he could figure that out uh, and uh, ultimately does well on the test. And Tyler, which is crazy to me, like just from a character perspective, though I understand why I did it, he tries to impress the girl that he likes at Zach by being like, hey, you guys want to see my cool new study method? Come to my house. I'm going to show you this awesome magical key. What do you think about this move with Tyler? Like him just immediately being like throwing caution to the wind. I mean, it's an awesome move to show someone you like a key because yeah. it's just the metaphorical key to your heart. Any Anything like that is a just a classic dating move um yeah i think uh to answer your question i do think it is it's reckless um but it's like kid style reckless it's like you yeah, gotta see this move. thing and yeah, I, I think that's great yeah yeah what would so you then, guys what would you guys cram in your head if you could uh, open uh perhaps a book um a movie Man, I'd probably say, like, never been kissed or fish police or something like (laughs) that. Fish police. I don't know. One of the two. One of the two big uh, temples. (laughs) I would, you know, I would try to uh, do, like, a French book or something so I could learn French right away. Mm. (laughs) French? Really? French. Why French? Why French? Because I kind of know Spanish, so. <laughs> you don't you wouldn't want to finalize that Spanish. You just well, jump right to French. Uh, you know, I can do all right with it. Yeah, wait, quick, say something in Spanish. No, is, speak. For, no, <laughs> speak wait, is that for the Spanish next. For now? <laughs> no, hablo inglés. Oh, great, cool. Wait, what would you do, Justin? What would you put in your head? Um, I don't know. I would take out um. All of the Star Wars movies and rewatch oh. them. Uh, oh, and rewatch them. Oh, okay. and see what I thought. Okay, wow. I'm, I've been curious because that's been such a thing uh, this this past uh, couple weeks. What I would think if I watched them all cold. Wow. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, probably you'd be like, eh. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I would. Wow. 
I would do that. Like with this Attack of the Clothes movie is real cool. That little green guy is jumping around all over the place. It's sweet. Yeah. Do you know what you should do? Is you should take them all out of your head and then just watch Attack of the Clothes. Oh, I'd be like that movie's God. awesome. There's so much going on. Yeah, I'd love to find out more about that Doku character. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's keep going through this. Uh, I love the page at the beginning of, I believe it's the third issue, where we get to see the sea caves, a.k.a. the drowning caves. Mm-hmm. We see a kid wandering down and spying on some people. It looks like Bodie from the back, but the reveal on the next page is that it's actually Duncan yeah. as a kid. It is the fourth Lo- issue, but yes. Oh, this is the fourth issue? Okay. Um but yeah, it's Duncan looking down at the other kids that we've previously seen in the Tempest production. Uh, and I love this. I love this setup of like paralleling Duncan and Bodie in terms of their characters and ultimately showing in such an economical way that Duncan's memory has been seriously messed with at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we also get uh, to see a little bit of Duncan working uh, with his art class. He uh, explains to them that a great way of seeing things from another perspective is trying to draw them upside down. And he's ultimately drawn the CKs with two people coming out of them, which is not the same as the picture there, which, again, memory been seriously messed with. Well, and he says it, I think, right there where he's like, you know, you got to turn upside down to turn off the other side, uh, turn off the right side of your brain and get into the artistic mindset. And that's where some mm-hmm. of this stuff is still spinning around. So I thought that was a yeah. great like showing the thing that he's talking about as it's happening. Yeah, I do wonder if that was a conversation that G. Hilly and G. Roddy uh, had at wow. some point, and G. Hilly worked it into... It's J. Hilly and G. Roddy, you <laughs> asshole. Listen, man, <laughs> I don't know how letters work anymore. Wow. You're right, though. To be fair, they're some pretty similar sounding letters. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he spells joke G-O-E, right? Yes, yes I think <laughs> that's, that's right. right. It's, if you knew French, Pete, you could tell, you would know that mm. it's a joke. Uh, it's, too bad. it's too bad I don't Just a suggestion Pete But if you're going to put anything in Put an alphabet in your head You know what I'm talking about <laughs> Oh man Just wow. a book of the alphabet yeah, Way to be Cornell Yeah uh, Anyway uh, Then we got a sequence I'm sure made Pete Super uncomfortable With Ellie in her Underwear In the shower Freezing Terrified oh. uh, And Lucas Kissing her And winning her over to his side So creepy uh, it is super creepy. Uh, and then Tyler, again, makes a total bonehead decision going back to his Fred Flintstone nature, where he immediately unlocks his head. And I love the reaction from it's, it's Jordan, right, is the character, yes. um, where she thinks he's making fun of her. And I love that as a character move for her, where her immediately running out and not being like, how did you do that? Or anything like that being like, no, fuck you. Stop making fun of me. Everybody makes fun of me. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, she's also stuck get, in her own head, man. We also get a big, terrifying plot line throughout this with Duncan. Turns out uh, that Duncan is gay. Uh, he has a boyfriend who loves getting drunk and going to sports bars. Uh, and there we get two extremely straight, extremely homophobic women who immediately try to beat up the boyfriend, Brian, but instead knock Duncan on the head, uh, which not only amps up the danger for them and their storyline, but also jostles free some memories in Duncan's head, 
where ultimately he remembers who Lucas is, which again adds a couple of rules here in terms of everything that's going on. So while Duncan and Brian are being menaced by these two women outside, uh, he is trying to warn Tyler that Lucas, uh, sorry, Zach Wells is not who he says he is. Uh, and the thing that I love about this plot line, not love, but I think is so expertly done is you have this threat towards Duncan and Brian, which is these two women waiting outside their house being like, soon as the lights turn on, we're going to go in there and we're going to fuck them up. But that's not where the danger comes from. Yeah. Ultimately, these women, even though they did hit Duncan in the head, I think are a little toothless. And the real danger is coming from Zach slash Lucas, who to jump ahead of some important stuff steals the keys, goes and takes these memories out of Duncan. Uh, but at the same time, Brian discovers him, wands outside, spooks the women, and they run him over. Yeah. So yeah. it's this expertly crafted series of actions that ultimately lead to tragedy. Yeah, yeah. it's really well done. And at first I thought the uh, the women characters were unbelievable. They'd be that aggressive. But then I remember this took place in Massachusetts, which is near right. Boston, and I knew it was real. Wow. Shots fired, man. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you a Boston protector? Is that what's going on, Pete? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Boston? You like a Boston? Nope. Boston? How's my accent work, eh? That's uh, awful. Very uh, like most eh? of your accent work. It's I'll tell you atrocious. what, I should put a Boston book in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's everyone covets the Boston accent. <laughs> They're yeah. dying to get that in their brains. Uh, then we get another one of the big moves that we should probably talk about, which is Kinsey ends up taking her fear and sadness out of her head and sticking it in a smash cola bottle. Uh, man, this is so good. And again, yeah. just in terms of like nightmarish to draw, uh, I don't know if this, this was on the letters or this was on the art itself, but every single time we see fear, fear is wearing a tunic, uh, something like that made out of newspapers. And every single time we see fear, there's a different headline on the yeah. front page of something that kids is scared about. So great. So great. This is my uh, favorite. I just love, I, that's why I love Kinsey so much. And this whole, the whole section of the story is just so good. She's like, well, I don't like these parts of me, so I'm going to take them out. I don't care what the consequences are. Yeah. And also, uh, Zalbin loves a good, like, fake company reference. So the Smash Cola really had to make you feel good, right, Zalbs? That's uh, my favorite part of any issue of Lock and Key. Yep. It's, it's, it's called Smash Cola, yes. Uh, I do love, I love the visual where she puts her thumb over oh, yeah. the head of the jar. Yeah, and uh, Fear has this little dagger, this knife, and just pokes her trying to get out. And then she sucks on it and holds it up and says, hey, look, it's a little face. I think Mr. Thumb is surprised. And it says everything you need to know about Kinsey's character now and going forward uh, that she doesn't care about pain. She doesn't, she's looking on the bright side, but that's not necessarily going to be helpful. Like yeah, we, yeah. we need our fear. We need our crying and taking them out. Isn't necessarily a solution. That's a hundred percent right. It's we need deep, our crying. Man. That's deep. It's like the movie dark man. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
he loses his ability to feel pain and he sort of needs it. Yeah. Wow. Wait, what's uh oh my favorite line from Dark Man is he's holding the bad guy at a construction site at the end, and the bad guy is like, You can't kill me, you wouldn't be able to live with yourself. And he drops him and says, I'm learning to live with a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Great, Great line. I mean, what a film. What it's a, a piece it's of a good movie. It's important to live with a lot of things, you know? I'll tell you what, if I could take out anything, I would take out Dark Man and then put it right back in. Wow. <laughs> Wow, just it's too terrifying to live without Darkman in your brain. Yeah, yeah. I would at the very least, I'd take out the Bruce Campbell cameo at the end because I'd be like, "Ooh, I want to be surprised by that again." That's fun. It's crazy that I said Darkman, but you know way, way more about it than I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Liam Neeson was Darkman. Yeah, that was hundred percent true. <laughs> in one of his finer roles. Yeah, when did Darkman come out? Probably ninety two, ninety three. The only two years that I remember with Eddie. Reasonable amount wow. of uh, I like in Darkman when he talks about his very specific skill set. No, that's Taken. <laughs> Same character. Taken's yep. a prequel to Darkman. Oh shit! You just blew my mind. Think about it. Uh, so what else do we want to talk about? We talked about the conflict that happens at the end where Brian ultimately gets hit by a car, and it's absolutely awful. Uh, also, very important to mention. Uh, but uh, Zach slash Lucas eats a banana, which sets up. He's trying to get the keys back to Kinsey. Kinsey kisses him and says, mmm, bananas. And this sets up a relationship here, which is With bananas. Yeah. Which is like, it's, it's horrifying to see because you should be happy for Kinsey being like, I took out my fear. I took out my crying. I'm kissing a boy I liked. Isn't this awesome? But it's Dodge, and that's absolutely the worst thing that could happen. Yep. Yeah. It's, and how much this uh, goes on in the story, it's just so frustrating uh, to watch this happen in front of your eyes, unable to uh, change it. Uh, and then we get that last issue, which we talked about a little bit, but there's some crucial pieces of information we should mention in there, uh, which is that Ellie, we had heard that Zach slash Lucas killed Ellie's mom earlier on, we find out exactly what happened Uh, while searching for her lost vibrator. She found a jar in her bathroom, which not only has her memory of the lady in the well version of Dodge, but also two keys, the echo key and the gender swap key. She breaks it open. The memory of Dodge crawls into her head. This sequence is so great to the point of Dodge. The looking directly at us, the viewer, yeah. and giving a little, hmm, should I look yeah. before crawling into Ellie's ear? And so find out this is why Ellie is the way she is, is because this memory of Josh has been manipulating her head the entire time. Uh, we get a absolutely, again, awful sequence of them Ugh. walking down to the sea caves. Don't do it. Thinking, Don't talk about it. Why not talk about it? It's fucked up, man. It is fucked up, but her mother is awful. Her mother burns Rufus with a cigarette the same way that she burned her as a kid. uh, And she almost pushes her down. She's terrified. Should have. What? And the mom looks back and says, well, do it if you're going to do it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Just the amount of emotion that's in those paddles is... So strong. Everything that happens in this issue, Ellie wanders into the well house, not exactly sure why, remembers Dodge, 
and ultimately Dodge then kills her mom for her and figures out that they can toss her down and say it's a drowning. She fell down the stairs, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that's so brilliant here is there's a little tease that the modern version of Dodge mentions earlier on in the book that. Oh, when he's talking about Duncan, where he's surprised as he's rooting around to Duncan's head that Duncan's memories are all in color and says, huh, usually adult memories are all in black and white because they've faded with time. Yeah. Uh, their emotions aren't as strong at that point. Unlike us, who are like all color bad. Yeah, all no, color I'm bad. all emotion nonstop. <laughs> Well, this flashback, like that gives you a nice, just simple coloring wise visual thing that you can do where you're getting a flashback, which usually is a black and white. And that's where we see her with Ellie. But the Dodge version is in color the entire time. And it's such a smart decision. Yeah. Yeah. Every little thing is magic. Yes. So ultimately, uh, Lucas... uh, Dodge, I should just call him that. Dodge is fiddling around in Ellie's head, taking all of the memories out to try to make things smoother and easier. And then we get that scene that we mentioned right at the end of the book, where Dodge tries to take the memory out of Rufus's head, but it does not work at all. And then, fuck yeah, Rufus, he's going to help be able to save the day. Uh, The last thing I'll mention, I don't know if this is the volume you guys were reading, um, Well, there's a couple of things at the end here that are important. Uh, One, we get a first part of a guide to the known keys. And I think this is in the regular issue, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I would would like to just say, though, in the last panel there where it's like we get the sir, yes, sir. If you look over, the other poster is an army of one, which is later the title of a volume. Uh, That's the title of this issue. Yep. Is army of one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there it is. That's, uh, Justin, that's a fact. Just Pete, put on your muscles for a second. Justin, we really got to put that shit back in his head. Nah, <laughs> all that's that fine. Stuff he's out, fine. He's functioning back. pretty well. He's crushing it. <laughs> Guys, can I take my ear muscles off yet? He, he knows yeah, some Spanish, off. Alex. He's doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex, I know some Spanish. Uh, So we do get this guide to the known keys uh, where we find out uh, we see the anywhere key, the head key, the gender key, the echo key, the ghost key, and a little tease of the Omega key. Uh, But the big thing here that we find out that's been hinted at, but we don't really know, haven't known, is these keys have been around for a very long time. Yeah. Centuries at this point. Uh, And again, very confident mood to be like... Hey, you see this main story here? There's this has happened before. Like there is shit that's gone down in a big way, and Dodge is not the first person that has menaced the uh, residents of Key House, which we find out a lot later on as well. Uh, but the last thing, at least in the collected volume, that's so neat, it's also is you- hinted at in the Tempest as well. Yes, uh, the uh, we get, there's a uh, there's a couple of pages where we get to see Gabriel Rodriguez's process on the panel where Ellie discovers the jar full of Dodge. And if you do have the collected edition, it's so much fun and so interesting as he talks about the challenges and the tweaks and the different steps that he takes. Uh, if you do have the individual issues, I recommend seeking out the collected volume just for this because. It's so neat to see him walk through it and talk about everything. Uh, before we wrap up here, any other things from this volume that you want to talk about in particular that we skipped over? I think that that covered it. Yeah. All right. Then it is time to unlock 
our key moments. Key moments. Key moments. Pete, let's start off with you. What was your key moment in this volume? Well, I think in this volume uh, was an interview that I saw uh, with the two of them. No, uh, I think I really think <laughs> I just love the setup of Rufus um, and such a it goes from being such a small character to such a big character in such a uh, dramatic, cool, creative way. And I think that is my uh, key moment. Cool. Justin, what about you? My key moment uh, or key moments are all of the, we've talked about this a bit. These are key moments um, from, from me. Uh, All the different keys themselves that we see when Bodhi's looking around the house and just the sort of, the tip that this is a much larger world um, than we think Uh, just from not even what you were talking about with the time and how this has happened before, but just for these characters in this house, that this place is expansive and there's so much more to explore. Uh, I love both of those moments. The uh, sir, yes, sir page at the end is absolutely fantastic. But for me, I think that last page in the first issue where Joe has just died and he finds his love again and says, there you are. It's such a beautiful, heartbreaking drawing with so so much emotion and so much going on there. It's frameable. Like Gabriel Rodriguez's art is fantastic across the board. But this is something that like, you could put it in a museum and it tells a full story in one page and one painting. It's absolutely phenomenal. That's also what's interesting about the collected edition is you really do get to see his art kind of come to life mm-hmm. and where it starts and where it grows from and kind of the pains that he goes through to give us such an uh, immaculate uh, book. Yeah. Again, I, I, I just talked about that, but I guess we <laughs> took it out of here. <laughs> well, I can't agree with what the fuck you're saying. I actually I listened to an interview with Alex very recently where he talked about yeah. a similar thing. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right. Next week, we are going to be talking about the third volume, Crown of Shadows. So please read the volume before then if you're following along on the podcast. Also, you can support our podcast, this podcast, and all of our others at patreon.com slash comic book club. We do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. So come on by. We would love to chat with you about Lock and Key. A couple of places socially you can follow along Lock and Key Pod. Got it right. At Watchmen Watch One. No, nope, no, nope, nope. Not Watchmen Watch One. Lock and Key Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Pete wants to mention something. Yeah, What's I wanted up, to Pete? plug. Uh, check out uh, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's three minute interview on YouTube. <laughs> Gabriel Rodriguez is adorable <laughs> oh and hilarious, and it's worth the three minutes. Oh, my God. Check us out at comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. And remember, lock her up. Lock her up. That's how we end every episode, right? That is the chant we agreed on. And this podcast, as always, is sponsored by the three-minute clip on YouTube. Check out (laughs) Way to Ring Every Single Second You Can from a great three-minute clip. It's this interview with Gabriel Rodriguez and Joe Hill.